heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. Welcome to Voice of a Nation. And today we're going to be talking with two powerful American activists who are working diligently to help all of us Americans learn the tools and strategies to reclaim our country and take it back from those who seek to destroy everything that's good and powerful and successful about the United States of America. This is Dr. Lee for America, your Team Nation guest host for Malcolm, in today with Sheriff Mack and Robert David Steele. Robert David Steele is an American activist and former Central Intelligence Agency clandestine services case officer, known for his promotion of open source intelligence or OSINT. He is the founder and CEO of Earth Intelligence, Arise USA, and Unrig. He is currently on a nationwide tour with the Arise team, traveling across the United States, educating America about the dangers of an unfair, and I would say stolen election, and the importance of knowing and using your rights. It's time, America, to get loud and get involved and get involved with the Arise team. He is hoping to be the catalyst that encourages all of us to work together to take our country back. And you can learn more about Robert at www.robertdavidsteele, and that's S-T-E-E-L-E, And with me also is a, a, just a hero in my book, Sheriff Richard Mack. Sheriff Mack is an American activist who was elected sheriff in his hometown in 1988. And I'll tell you a little bit more about his other background, but he has been named the elected official of the year by the Arizona-New Mexico Coalition of Counties. He received the NRA Law Officer of the Year Award. He's been inducted into the NRA Hall of Fame and received the Samuel Adams Leadership Award, as well as received the Gun Owners of America Defender of the Second Amendment Award. And as a lifetime member of the NRA myself, and a staunch Second Amendment defender myself, and as a woman who has had the training to learn self-defense and take care of protecting myself and exercising my Second Amendment rights, I am very grateful for all of Sheriff Mack's work in that regard. But interesting, he actually helped to stop the Brady Bill intrusion on our constitutional 
laws and the success of states to decide how to implement the set the and defend the Second Amendment. During his tenure as sheriff, federal officers informed the sheriffs of his state that they would be required to enforce the so-called Brady Bill and run background checks at their expense under the law. So in 1994, Sheriff Mack and six other sheriffs from across the country challenged the constitutionality of the Brady Bill and ultimately fought it all the way to the United States Supreme Court. They won a monumental decision for freedom and the Second Amendment. Three years later, in a landmark 5-4 split decision based on the Tenth Amendment to the United States Constitution, Sheriff Mack and his colleagues won their case. Welcome, Sheriff Mack. Welcome, Robert Steele. I'm honored to have you both. Let's talk about what Americans need to do to wake up and get involved and save our country. Well, I defer to Sheriff Mack. I mean, he oh. is, I've called him the second most important man in America. And very candidly, this tour was inspired by Sheriff Mack. When he stood up for constitutional sheriffs pushing back against the abuse by federal, state, and local officials who, who have in mind, these are my words, not his, been bribed, blackmailed, or brainwashed to go against the 99%. Sheriff Mack inspired in me a burning fire to take his message and mine on the road. I'm the top dog on three topics, election fraud and reform, Wall Street treason and crime, and satanic pedophilia with child trafficking. But those topics are not going to be understood by the American people unless they see the solutions that President, that, ah, President Mack, that Sheriff Mack uh, represents. Sheriff Mack represents elected sheriffs deputizing uh, armed, engaged citizens to push back against the abuse of power. And together we represent faith, family, and freedom, which is the covenant. Now I will just say in final comment, the word citizenship should mean citizens who give the government limited rights for self, small, carefully defined uh, services of common concern. The extreme left, the communists, the deep state, the Wall Street, 1% criminals and terrorists, and, well, terrorists, not just traitors, uh, they have defined citizenship as how the government gives us rights. That's completely wrong. So let me defer to Sheriff Mack, because at the end of the day, this tour, although I've done one tour before with Cynthia McKinney, this tour, a $2 million tour funded $100 at a time by the public that goes to BigBatUSA.org. This tour started when Sheriff Richard Mack ignited in me the vision for taking this message of ours together to across the country. 84 stops, 111 days. The world is never going to be the same. And Mount Rushmore in, uh, on the 4th of July with a cowboy mass at the dawn, that is going to be the beginning of the second American Revolution, in my humble opinion. I don't know. I've, I, he makes me blush when he says that I'm the second most powerful man or, or most <laughs> important man in America. But... I think the movement that I started can very well be called that because just as he mentioned, uh, it's solution oriented. Uh, I just did uh, a wonderful expo over the weekend and so many people came up after they heard me speak and said, this is the first time I've really heard a speaker that has legitimate hope for America because it really is uh in actuality, uh, a legitimate, peaceful, and effective solution. 
that we, the people, unite and uh, partner with our sheriffs in taking back America, county by county, state by state. And this really needs to happen with a lot of solid leadership with sheriffs, because the sheriff is the only elected law enforcement official anywhere in the United States. He receives his power directly from the power source. We the people, the first three words of the Constitution, we the people, and we can, we the people can take back America, just as the Declaration of Independence warns us to do, that it is our right as a people, it is our duty as a people to throw off tyrannical, despotic, evil, cruel government. And this corrupt government that we have in Washington, D.C., uh, has been so corrupt for so long. And I will say, without any hesitation, that uh, the, the best uh, chance we had in Washington, D.C. was Donald Trump to, to really drain the swamp. The swamp drained him. They got rid of him. Their subterfuge and their evil uh, corruption got rid of him. And now we're back to what do we do? Well, I'm telling you, we have seen the evidence. I have shared story after story after story with Robert and many people across the country, how sheriffs have stood against tyranny in peaceful and effective manners. And the way that sheriffs are now standing across this country has uh, become a, a, a light on the hill for all of us to follow. And we've got to do this and we've got to take it to the streets and we've got to make this solution bigger, better and faster and better funded. And Robert, you said the, the website for the tour, you said it way too fast where people can donate. Say it again slower. BigBatUSA.org. And let me also say that one of the reasons Sheriff Mack is so important on this tour is because he's talking to the people who have sheriffs who have not seen the light. And so a major yeah. part of this tour is about reaching those sheriffs who call themselves statute sheriffs as opposed to constitutional sheriffs. A statute uh, sheriff is a servant to the deep state and is in betrayal of their constitutional oath. And that's why Sheriff Mack is so important to this tour. We wanna reach the public. We're getting crowds of 300 to 500 on our way to 15,000 in St. Louis. And I, I believe that this tour is serving as a catalyst for the public realizing that the 99% actually do have the power. And I'll say one more thing. After this tour is over, in fact, while this tour is over, tomorrow, we are creating a new national foundation to unite 99% and to be able to put 1,000 people into any school board meeting, any county commission meeting, any state legislative meeting, any congressional hearing. And what we're going to do, and we've got the URLs now, they're not active, but USA 99 .net, USA99.org and USA99.com. This tour is going to be done again in 2022, 2023, 2024. And while I personally think Donald Trump is coming back, this tour is also plan B. This is the tour that allows the American public to take back the power beginning at the county level and then moving up to the state and federal level. So, and I have to say, I'm God's servant here. There is no way a guy sitting in his wife's basement on social security would have put this tour together without God's will. And Sheriff Mack is one of the angels. Kevin Jenkins is another angel. Uh, Trent uh, Luce is uh, our ground commander is a third angel. 
This tour has brought together under God's guidance, six to 20 angels who are now delivering to the public an opportunity to take back the power. You know, this is just so powerfully important, and I'm, I'm really grateful that both of you would be on America Out Loud today. This platform is growing leaps and bounds because we are speaking to the heart and soul of a battered American public that's tired of the crime, tired of the corruption, tired of being lied to, tired of being locked down, tired of being told they're coming for our guns and our children and a needle in every arm and all of the other things that we've been talking about medically. And Sheriff Mack, I am really glad that both you and Robert have talked about the importance of understanding constitutional sheriffs versus police. Please, let's clarify that again for our listeners because that is such a critical point. My, my own brother worked in the Richmond, Virginia Sheriff's Office for 10 years. He's a retired law enforcement officer. And I know the difference about the constitutional basis of the sheriff's power versus the police. But most people don't understand that. You've talked about the sheriffs are elected. Let's explain the difference with police. Well, uh, regrettably, police, and I, I don't mean this entirely disparagingly, but police are bureaucrats. They're appointed. Uh, the sheriff is constitutionally elected by, for, and of the people. He reports only to them. He has no other boss. He has no other supervisor. He is so independent. And, and, and thus, his only boss is we the people in his county. That's it. And yeah, that's a fine line to walk because he has to try to not only uh, please them, but he has to do that within the oath of office that he took, that he swore oath an oath of allegiance as required by Article 6 of our U.S. Constitution. That oath is required by all police. So we've all taken the same oath. The question is, do I have the independence and the courage to keep it? Now, chiefs of police have to report to the town manager or to the city council or mayor. Usually his immediate supervisor is an appointed town manager or city manager. And, uh, and then sometimes the chiefs also are under contract. And, and so the sheriff is not under any contract he has, he reports to no other politician or political body or subcommittee. He reports only to the people. And every four years, the people decide if they're going to keep this person in office. And that's exactly why we call ourselves a constitutional republic. A republic is where the people choose our representatives and our employees in government. The chief of police, they bypass that. And so I wish the chief... Uh, were all the chiefs were elected in, in America, but they all, and I will say this to every chief and peace officer in the country, we all, you all, have the same obligation to keep your oath to uphold and defend the Constitution, and we hope we get those chiefs and police departments working with the sheriffs to do just that. Exactly. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me jump in as a former spy, because I know something about chiefs of police who have been bribed and blackmailed by the CIA and the FBI. Okay, this is a very serious matter. Now, Sidney Powell, one of my heroes, has written a book called License to Lie, 
And Chris Fogarty, uh, a, an American Irishman who wrote a book on the Irish fam famine, he was framed by the FBI for murder at the request of MI5 in the United Kingdom. And I'm very intimately familiar with how child trafficking is being used to bribe and blackmail chiefs of police, prosecutors, and judges across this country. So let me say without qualification, as a former spy who has created a national intelligence agency, who is the top nonfiction reviewer, who knows a lot of stuff from my friends at NSA that is not known to the public, anyone who is appointed and many of the people who are elected are subject to bribery and blackmail. And the difference between constitutional sheriffs and chiefs of police, in my view, is that one has pure direct access to the public and is honoring their oath in a transparent way. And all of the others are subject to manipulation by various means. And the public has to start doing the smell test. Is an action in the public interest or not? If it's not in the public interest, George Soto's probably paid to have that decision made against the public interest or someone is being bribed or blackmailed. There, for example, in the United States, the elderly are being preyed on by a combination of doctor, police, and judge. So the doctor drugs up the elderly person, the police come in and they're declared incompetent with, by the doctor and the police, they're made a ward of the state and then their estate is stolen. Preying on the elderly is a massive financial scam across this country that yep. is being allowed to happen by chiefs of police who are turning a blind eye to many crimes against the public. So I won't say any more on this, but I want to say just that Sheriff Mack represents the purity of law enforcement. And his, his uh, vice president, Rick Dalton, has been on the road with us. Rick Dalton's a great American. And he says, bad cops are hated more, by, more than anything by good cops. There are good cops. And good yeah. cops are being pressed down into the minority. So this is also about lifting up the good cops across the country, in my view. Amen. Exactly right. Now, something, I, and, and I'm really glad you brought out that point about the blackmail and extortion with many leaders, including the chiefs of police, but something right here in Pima County, which has come out with the Arizona election fraud, is that in Pima County, we did not have a fair election for sheriff. In fact, we had an extremely qualified and successful business trained former, uh, you know, formal training in management as well as law enforcement in our previous sheriff. And what came out in the election fraud is that in Pima County, 35,000 votes were added to each Democrat candidate before the election started in the machines. They were pre-programmed. So no wonder there was a clean sweep of anyone who supported the Constitution. Right. And we're still fighting the Arizona fraud. Would either of you like to comment on that? Yes, I know uh, the sheriff who lost, who was one of the first Republican sheriffs there in Pima County, which is the greater Tucson area. Uh, Sheriff Napier, a uh, very good man. And uh, it just it just was across the board that the Democrats were cheating and doing everything they could uh, to uh, increase their monopoly over the landscape of American politics. And this is why they've been so uh, ardently supporting open borders and illegal immigration so that they can increase uh, their voter turnout. And uh, 
amazing, a miracle just happened that a Republican, a Hispanic Republican just won the mayor race in McAllen, Texas, because the Hispanics that live in that town are sick and tired of the open border policy and the progressive uh, subterfuge and corruption of the left and the Democrat party. So I hope that that pushback is going to go nationwide, uh, but for, I don't know how we are going to, to uh, do a proper and transparent and fair investigation of these election frauds because they, they seem to be manipulating all of those too and they've already uh, infiltrated uh, the revote, uh, the recount, I'm sorry, recount in Maricopa County. So if it comes out that uh, Trump won, they're going to claim that that was all done uh, dishonestly and, and by trickery and, and scheming. So I, I just don't know how we're going to ever figure this out. And, and the problem is the Democrats are in charge of almost all of it. Well, let me say a couple of things. Uh, I'm the only guy on the planet who has actually written and hashtag on rig election reform act that pulls together the best ideas from all over the world, including paper ballots counted publicly on site and instant runoff, but instant runoff only works if you have paper ballots counted publicly on site. I know for a fact that the election, the electronic election machines were invented in order to rig elections. And Dr. Cynthia McKinney, my former partner in hashtag on rig with whom I went on tour in 2017 in an RV driven by a staffer, uh, has, has, was one of the first people to lose an election to rigged systems. Now, the way they rig it is they have a lot of candidates, so they split the vote, and then they have something called fractional voting, and then they also have human override. Now, there's no question in my mind that the dominoes are going to fall. There are delegations from Georgia and Pennsylvania and Arizona, but people need to understand that part of the reason that they're having trouble in Arizona is because the Republican Party is just as dirty as the Democratic Party. And that's and the true. Two parties, and yes, that is two, true. The two parties are trying desperately to preserve their role as the front for the deep state. And yet they represent only 30 percent of the voters and they're losing voter share. This tour is about mobilizing the 70 to 80 percent of the voters that are not represented properly by the Republican and Democratic parties. This tour is also about revealing election fraud and election reform solutions. It's also about, re uh, Wall Street is guilty of treason. Wall Street collaborates with China, England, and other countries to undermine the US economy for the profit of the 1%. Now I have really good news for everybody. Number one, the National Security Agency, my friends, have the cell phone locations and addresses and data of every single person that has touched an illegal ballot. We have all of the data for all of the truckloads of illegal ballots that were brought in. We have all of the data for everybody that entered and left a, a polling facility before and after it was opened. This is done. I think all of that information is, is in military tribunals hands and I think this is gonna fall apart. The second thing that I would say is that this tour is plan B. No matter what happens in relation to President Trump, this tour is about showing the public that they have the power in association with constitutional sheriffs, they have the power to demand uh, honest elections. And the last thing that I would say is that moms are rising. I think women are going to save this country. And every, every audience we get, I get standing ovations when I talk about gun packing mamas and women <laughs> rising. And when I talk about the militia, I'm not talking about people playing dress up. I'm talking about normal citizens who have been trained by the NRA or by the military. We've got uh, 
We've got over 22 million veterans. We've got 3 million law enforcement officers. There is no lack of able-bodied citizens, including gunpacking mamas and grandmas, that the sheriff can mobilize, can deputize. So I salute Sheriff Richard Mack because while I have ideas, Sheriff Mack has his boots firmly on the ground with the Constitution in his hand, and that's the key to victory. Well, are there other websites where people like us who believe in our constitutional republic, and I'm so fed up with talking heads on TV and politicians calling us a democracy. Venezuela is a democracy. We are not. We are a constitutional republic. And you're exactly right in everything you say. And, And I really think, I think you're right. I think women need to take their power and look at the fact that we need to be trained. We need to be able to defend our families and our loved ones and our lives and our, uh, you know, women throughout the history of this country have been a strong support of all of the effort to fight against tyranny and to support the men and, and sons of their communities. And I think it's time for us to stop being so passive. Not that I've been passive, but <laughs> there's been a lot who have been. And one of the most empowering things that women can do is take handgun classes, learn how to use a weapon properly, learn how to defend yourself and don't be a victim. Yeah. And you asked about another website, of course, uh, our website explains all of this, cspoa.org, cspoa.org. And you can see our template for making your county a constitutional county. Uh, we're celebrating that on June 20th with our uh, Rise USA tour. And we're going to be there and we're going to honor Elko County as the second constitutional CSPOA county in the country. And this is really starting to, to go nationwide now. We were shocked by this because it happened a lot faster than we thought because Lander County did it on May 15th. And yes, Robert and I were there and we celebrated with 1,500 people this wonderful historic, historic event where uh, counties are now taking back their sovereignty, their individuality, their freedom, their constitutional rights, and I'm telling you what, if, if you are looking for a solution, come on, we want you. Let me, let me say that people should join rather than just donate, because if you join CSPOA.org, you get a posse badge. And I have a lot of people showing up at our, at our, at our, uh, our tour stops with the posse badge on their unrig hack. Yes. And so the combination. We love that. CSPOA <laughs> posse plus a commitment to unrig this nation. And one point I'd make is all of our institutions are rigged. Our schools are rigged, our churches are rigged, our labor unions are rigged, our chambers of commerce are rigged and controlled by the US Chamber of Commerce, which is an agent of a foreign power. All of it is rigged. So the answer for us is people, not parties. And that's why we're creating a new national association. Trent Luce, Kevin Jenkins and I, and Sheriff Mack's gonna be invited to be a member of the board of directors. We're going to focus on the positive, we're going to focus on empowering the public, and we're going to focus on giving people truthful information that cannot be censored, 
tools for thinking and processing information and the ability to mobilize. I tell people, don't just go to a school board meeting, organize 50 people the day before who then go with you. You cannot just walk into a school board meeting alone. You have to bring friends. And I think that's one of the things we're doing. Every single stop that we've made, people have been meeting each other who were being divided and conquered by the deep state. So we are literally unifying people at the county level. And my Patriots Network, which is also associated with Sheriff Mack and with me, my Patriots Network has county level forums. Jimmy Schwinn is a genius. He is really helping people connect. And so I see this trifecta of CSPOA, my Patriots Network, and BigBatUSA.org as how the public can empower itself going forward. And Mount Rushmore is going to be epic. We're going to start with a cowboy church service as the sun rises to welcome the second American revolution. Oh, wow. I love that. Wow. That That is powerful. Well, let me add a piece to your picture, guys, because I've just ramped up a foundation, charitable foundation. My husband and I actually created in 2007, and it was kind of demolished by the economic crash in 2008, Truth for Health. You talked about the corruption in every system in our country, but you failed to include the most, one, the most egregious one of all that is totally corrupted by the big interest, and that is big medicine and big pharma. Oh, yeah. That depressed people have cost lives needlessly, have interfered with physicians' ability to prescribe for our patients. And our initiative is to take early treatment telemedicine services into churches across the United States as one of the freedom zones, freedom of religion, freedom of life, freedom of liberty. And we're going to bring the physicians back into ministry the way it always was and unite medicine and ministry united for the people to have early treatment in the setting they trust, which is their church with telemedicine docs across the country. So that's our effort. I I support that completely. And I regret that I have to leave because I have to supervise a team that's redoing our wraps. We, we have, uh, we have changed our key personnel and, and we need to be transparent and have integrity in how we show the right people that are with us on the wrap. So we're doing that. We're moving forward in a very positive way. But let me say to you that there's a very strong individual health sovereignty element. And we are very happy to have uh, Dr. Northrop and Pam Popper uh, confirmed on our tour. They will be speaking to this. And we, of course, we admire Dr. Tenpenny and others. But the end of the day is we need the truth at any cost to lower the cost of everything else. So let me end and say goodbye to all of you with with a salute to Sheriff Mack, particularly. I believe that America is back in the saddle and Trent Luce is riding for the brand. Kevin Jenkins is helping unite people of color that have been divided uh, by misinformation and lies. And there's no question in my mind that America, the 99% is in the next three years going to retake the power over governance. There's no question. 99%, as President Donald Trump has said, the best is yet to come. Let me end on that note and bid you both goodbye. Robert, thank you so much. Keep up the great work and we're going to support you. Send me your websites by email. I'll get them up on our platform. And I will will publicize yours. Thank you. God bless you both. Bye-bye. See you tomorrow. We're going to take a break here. 
And we'll be right back with more from our hero, Sheriff Mack, the constitutional sheriff leader of all of the exciting developments to reclaim America. Stay tuned for more in the first hour of Voice of the Nation. We'll be right back with Sheriff Mack. Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. Because of COVID-19, the average American worries about their immune health four times a day. That's 112 times per year. To minimize the worries, leading nutritional supplement company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost, an immune supplement that contains 15 full doses of science-backed nutrients like vitamin C, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea, all in a one-a-day pill-free gel pack. It tastes great, is convenient on the go, and it's more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Supporting a strong and resilient immune system can be simple. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Immune Super Boost. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. The America Out Loud family is comprised of patriots in the true sense of the word. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty and the Constitution to help save America for future generations to come. AmericaOutloud.com It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Welcome back to Voice of a Nation. This is Dr. Lee for America, your team nation guest host for Malcolm in with another exciting segment on Voice of a Nation with Sheriff Richard Mack, constitutional sheriff and one of the heroes of the movement to take back America as a constitutional republic working closely with Robert David Steele, you just heard in the first hour. And if you missed that, go back and get the podcast and listen to the first hour with Robert David Steele and all he had to say with his national tour, Arise USA. And the constitutional sheriffs of America are coming together to help the people of America look at the ways we have peaceful solutions to the fraud and corruption that have stolen our country and destroyed our lives. Welcome back, Sheriff Mack. Thank you so much, Dr. Lee. It's great to be with you. And I want to get you to please talk a little more. You know, you and I both have spent a lot of years in Arizona and you have experience with New Mexico as well. I'd like to talk a little more about the seriousness of the border situation. I know I did a lot of work with Zach Taylor, who was president of the National Association of Former Border Patrol Officers in the years following um, the 2009 
debacle after President Obama opened the borders and we had a surge of terrorists and diseases and drug trafficking, human trafficking coming across the border. Tell us more about the situation that's going on now under the Biden administration. And what are the threats, not just for border people, people who live along the Arizona, Texas, California, New Mexico border, but also the rest of the country. Tell us more about what's really happening that the media is refusing to cover. Well, the mainstream media is definitely uh, not telling the truth. And I guess that should really shock you. <laughs> but the mainstream media uh, is, is actually a part of this because they are refusing to report uh, how, how much uh, drug abuse is increasing, drug trafficking coming across the border, because right now uh, the cartels are more in charge of the border and what happens there than our own federal government. And let's make no mistake, Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution requires the federal government to protect our border from invasion. And that doesn't mean an army. It doesn't mean a violent uh, overthrow. It means anyone invading. It doesn't say that they're here with guns and ready to kill everybody. It's an invasion. It's an invasion because it is so huge uh, in its depth and how many people are, are coming across. And uh, Fox News just showed this morning that people from Africa are coming across. People from the Middle East are coming across. And uh, if they have seen this, then it's 10 times worse than what they are reporting, because that's just how crime is in general. We detect about 10 to 12 percent of all crime in America. Most of it goes undetected and people do get away with a lot of crime. And uh, that's just the nature of the beast. Uh, but be that as it may. We have drug trafficking that has increased exponentially. We have human trafficking that has increased exponentially. We've seen human uh, abuse. We've seen child abuse and how much that has increased at the border. And they're showing that to everybody. And yet mainstream media won't uh, report it. Uh, AOC won't talk about it. Uh, and, and all these progressives are just so happy and thrilled that the destruction of America is happening. And it's fitting completely their communist and leftist socialist progressive agendas that they're just thrilled with all of this criminal activity taking place at the border where Americans are suffering from this. And they, the, the left, the Democrats and the media absolutely refuse to address this. One, because they're so still anti-hateful uh, of uh, Trump. And uh, two, it fits their agenda to fundamentally alter, change, and, and transform America. That is what's happening there. And if there, it, you would think that all law enforcement in this country would be uniting behind one thing, and that is to stop the sexual exploitation of our children. Uh, and yet it's now increased there because one, Mr. Biden and Ms. Harris and the rest of the Democrats who are supporting this. I agree totally that the, the Republican Party, especially at its national level, is corrupt. And Washington was correct that a two-party system 
would be the bane of, of America. Uh, and that is happening. Uh, and so it, the, the Democrats and Republicans want the same thing. They want power and they want to win and they don't care how they get it. I, th I think that's the, the concept that is so difficult for the average American to really comprehend because normal people cannot fully wrap their mind around the fact that there are people who actually wish us harm for their own power, money, and control. And that is, and, and we've seen it here in Arizona. The Republican Party has fought tooth and nail against every conservative candidate that I've ever worked to support in the 25 years I've been here. And, and it's, it's staggering the degree to which the Republican Party in Arizona uh, has, has undermined the principles of our constitutional republic, including the border issues that they claim are such a problem. And yet their policies actually support the open border and, and the crime across the border. Well, that's true. And, and I can show you one case in point where the Republicans have completely failed to go along with their agenda, to completely fail to protect America, to protect our unborn, and to protect life uh, as one of the most essential parts of our Declaration of Independence, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Our whole country is supposed to be based on protecting life. Well, when they had the presidency and the Supreme Court and uh, Congress, uh, the Republicans failed to defund Planned Parenthood. And this is something that should not be happening in the first place because using tax dollars to give to a private organization or club or group, an activist organization, no matter what they're trying to do, I mean, why, why don't I get federal funds for the CSPOA? We're about trying to make cops follow the Constitution and de-escalate situations by using their oath of office and Constitution. So why am I not funded by the federal government? Because it's improper use of funding and money and taxpayer dollars. It's illegal to do that. They're giving it to a private organization to kill babies. And the Republicans have allowed this to happen. Another case in point, the Federal Reserve and IRS totally and completely unconstitutional. The IRS is a criminal organization that has terrorized and bullied the American people for literally seven or eight decades. They continuously fabricate evidence against American citizens so they can get them to acquiesce and just pay the extra to these evil people and this evil organization. And when was the last time a Republican said, we're going to get rid of the IRS. We're going to stop this bullying. We're going to stop this corruption. How about maybe one or two have mentioned it when they were running for office, Ron Paul, Rand Paul, and maybe uh, Ted Cruz, when they said they need to abolish the IRS. It just bounces off people's back like water off a duck. And, and it, this is a horrible, catastrophic abuse and corruption that both parties have supported and allowed to continue. Well, I think that's exactly right. And we certainly have seen the weaponization of many of our federal agencies, including the IRS, look at including the- Including the EPA. 
Exactly right. <laughs> and look at all that has happened under weaponization of DHS. We actually were tracking DHS buses in Arizona being used to take the illegal border crossers deeper into the heart of the country. And the charter flights from Tucson International Airport that would load up plane loads of illegal border crossers and take them nonstop on charter flights to cities deep in the heartland of the country. And none of this was exposed. None of this was used to educate the public and help them see the dangers. I don't know if many people remember, but the outbreak of the acute respiratory virus in the summer of 2014 in cities across the country that was hitting young children and they were ending up in the ICU and dying, that was tracked to a virus that was coming in across the southern border through from Central America, and it was tracked to the illegals that were then disseminated in some of the major cities, Denver being one that I happen to remember where there was an outbreak of this virus. And we wrote about it, but it just, it went nowhere until President Trump started talking seriously about the border issues when he was a candidate in the summer of 2015. And I knew that he, at that moment, I heard his talk and I knew he was talking to people on the ground, the sheriffs on the border and the border patrol council. I knew he was talking to people who knew what was happening because he was absolutely right. And that was part of the problem. He called, he was trying to confront the corruption. Yes, he was. And he called it straight. And of course, the lying media and the lying Democrats and some lying Republicans uh, went after him and branded him. Of course, he's a racist. If you want to secure the border and have national security and stop drug trafficking at the border, all of a sudden you're a racist. And, and uh, this, this is so appalling uh, and shameful. Uh, and these Democrats absolutely like uh, Adam Schiff, uh, the line that they got away with, and many, many others, of course, Nancy Pelosi. I mean, they don't even, I don't even think they know or uh, that they're lying anymore because it's become so part of their DNA uh, to lie. And, and yes, Republicans lie too. I mean, I still get happy when a Republican beats a socialist leftist Democrat, but really after a few months, it avails us very little. Uh, and so I'm, I'm really sick and tired of the uh, all-star wrestling match between the Democrats and Republicans because they're both uh, wings of the same corrupt bird. And, um, uh, you know, I'm still I'm still registered as a Republican, but I'm ashamed to call myself either one. And I probably need to go independent very soon. But the, the, the problem with this all is that we're fighting such huge, ubiquitous corruption at the border. Washington, D.C. is completely uh, uh, at fault with this. They are completely corrupt. They are completely complicit and and directly uh, culpable for the border catastrophe and crisis. And all they do is play politics with it. They do not care about the American people. 
They do not care about national security. They do not care about life, liberty, and property. They care about their own selfish agendas and their own selfish political gain and their own selfish uh, jobs, retirements, and money. It is all, American politics is all based on greed and power and playing uh, the best game they can with Soros or whoever else has the money, just as Robert said. And it is so corrupt that if, if the American people really knew how corrupt Washington, D.C. was, we would march on Washington and get rid of all of them tomorrow. It is so, so corrupt. Well, what are you finding in the rallies and meetings that you're holding across the country? Are you finding that people are listening to what you're saying and taking it seriously? Yes, I, I fear sometimes that we're, we're preaching too much to the choir, but I also like that because the choir's got to get busy on all of these freedom uh, issues. Uh, most of the choir don't know about uh, the power of the sheriff. And when the light comes on, that's great. In fact, we have two sheriffs on our, our uh, steering committee that just recently came to our training and said, whoa, sheriff, this really worked for me. Your training was excellent. The light has come on. I'm ready to go. Uh, ask us, ask me to do anything to help you get this word out and, and take it nationwide. So we get the same thing with people. They go, you know, like the people I was at the Red Pill Expo over the weekend and they would come up and say, you know, like, like I said earlier, wow, this is really a, a solution that's peaceful. There's legitimate hope in your message, Sheriff Mack. I'm ready to work and get going. Most of these people just keep hearing about all the horrible things in our country and they're, they're almost never based on a solution. The CSPOA is based on a legitimate solution that has a proven track record. Look at all the hundreds of sheriffs that stood against their own governors and mayors the last 15 months. And it's real and it's happening. Now imagine the best sheriffs that you've seen that have stood, the constitutional sheriffs. Now imagine that we create a thousand more within the next couple of months. That's what this tour is about. That's what we're doing. And so uh, we can take America back. Have a constitutional sheriff in your county working with your constitutional county commissioners and the county attorney, and you can take America back in your county. That's where we want it to go. And then take it nationwide, county by county, one, one sheriff at a time. And I, I don't want to put all this on the sheriff, but yes, the sheriff's leadership is essential to this, working with we the people. That's why we tell everybody, join the CSPOA, CSPOA.org, and become a part of that movement to take America back. Okay. I love that. And so let's, let's get our listeners to write this down, website, and I'm, I'm going to say it slowly, CSPOA.org. A.org. And don't just donate whatever you can afford, but join the organization, become a member of the posse, and then look at the suggestions of the steps you can take in your own community. Sheriff Mack, what are the five top actions that you would like our listeners to take today to start 
a movement in their county? What can they do? Okay, just as you said, join the CSPOA. There's lots of information there. Get a copy of the Supreme Court decision. In my case that I have on our website, I, I made a, a Reader's Digest version, a short little pocket review, highlighted version of our Supreme Court case. Everybody needs to see that. So you need to share that with your sheriff. You need to start having a relationship with your sheriff. You need to find out and vet your sheriff to see if he or she is indeed a constitutional sheriff. Get them the training that we offer. You, they can take a class online or we can bring our training to their office and for all of their department and all of their employees. We've done that nationwide. You must have a relationship with your sheriff Know where he stands, and if you have to, then try to replace him if he refuses to keep his word, to keep his oath, and to stand for liberty. Then you need to try uh, to join and start a posse with your own sheriff, thereby really increasing the protection that you have within your county. And could people do that, for example, by starting a group in their home to hear some of these programs? Do you, do you, does your organization have video educational programs that you could offer yes, for my, people well, one, to use a, in home? There's a six hour training. There's a six hour training that I do on all of this. Yes. And, and it's, you can take it all in one day, but it's, it, it total is six hours. You know, every bit of it, the first, second, third hour, you'll love and all of it will help you. If you can do the whole thing, do, do it. Great. Do an hour a day, uh, do an hour a week and go through that training. It's available at our website. Yes. Well, and, see, I, that would be a great idea to encourage people to bring groups of 10, 12, 20 people into their home, show yes. the video, have a discussion group, and then develop from that a series of action steps that each small group, home-based groups, Correct. can start taking out into their county. And they should try to invite their sheriff to that meeting and just start asking him or her how he feels about the oath of office, the Constitution, protecting me from mask mandates, and have forced to be wearing a diaper, or... Uh, the big one now, the big two, will he protect us from gun control of Washington, D.C., and will he protect us from uh, forced vaccination? Well, that's exactly right. And certainly the cover-up on the deaths and debilitation and complications of these experimental vaccines has been staggering. We, we had a conference call with physicians with two employees related to recording data in the vaccine adverse event recording system. And whether it's deliberate or whether it's incompetence is not clear at this point, but the backlog of data, the current open bears information is not even current past February. So we're at over 5,000 deaths in the United States with a backlog of unreported, unrecorded data. So people need to be aware that these are still experimental. They are not traditional vaccines. No. They adverse events that are orders of magnitude worse than any we've ever had before. 
and getting the, the community organized to meet with the sheriff to look at whether or not your local sheriff will enforce illegal vaccine mandates is a hugely important issue for your life and your health. Amen. And, and your sheriff can protect you from all of that. Some of them don't know it. So we need to take, we need people that really know about this that are voters of his and in his community and they can help him get uh, on board uh, the constitutional sheriff train. Well, that is, that is very helpful. And, and I would encourage your organization to reach out perhaps again through some of the churches where we look to our history with the revolutionary pulpit and the yeah. fact that the pastors were leaders of the defense against tyranny in the first American revolution. And I think we need to look at a coalition of ministers and medicine people and constitutional sheriffs to get back to the roots of our founding documents, the Declaration Amen. of Independence and the Constitution and Bill of Rights. Amen. Do you have any messages for the pastors of our country as we begin to wrap up today? Well, we've been working with the Black Robe Regiment to an extent, and that's a, a powerful um, group of pastors across the country. And uh, Pastor Chen uh, on in uh, California, who stood against in Pasadena, who stood against the governor there and won a lawsuit uh, for the destruction of the First Amendment and religious freedom there. So we appreciate these pastors who have taken strong stands during the pandemic, and all of them need to wake up and do the exact same thing. But Pastor Ahn said something that every church needs to take heed of. I don't care what church it is. They all need to take heed of this because many of them just acquiesced and went along. Pastor Ahn said this, the governor does not run our church. Jesus Christ runs our church. Everyone Absolutely. needs to remember that. Thank you, Sheriff Mack, and thank you for a powerful message today. You and Robert David Steele, I urge our listeners, go to cspoa.org, go to Arise USA, and get on board with Reclaim America, Take Back Our Country from the Tyrants, and let's reclaim our life and our liberty as our founders intended. Thank you for being with us today on Voice of a Nation. This is America Out Loud. Get loud, get involved, and take your country back from those who seek to destroy us. and soul of a nation beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor, honor, honor. our soul. soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. 
This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. Welcome to the second hour of Voice of a Nation. And this is going to be a broader discussion, global issues, after our discussion with Robert David Steele and Sheriff Mack about their efforts across America with Arise USA and restoring our freedoms, reclaiming our country, restoring our Bill of Rights, all of the efforts that are being made in the U.S. are certainly exciting, and we want to encourage all of you to be a part of that. My guest for the second hour is going to talk about the global perspective, what's happening in other countries that Americans may not really be quite as aware of, and what are some of the solutions that courageous people in other countries are undertaking to reclaim our human liberty and the freedoms and the right to live our life without so much control by the global predators that are seeking this global reset. And Nick Hudson has been certainly a leader in the international efforts to shine light on the lies and distortions that we've been fed for the last year and a half. And I'm really pleased to have him with us today. He is coming in via today's technology from Cape Town, South Africa, perhaps as far away as you can get from where we are in the Southern United States. Nick is a actuary with broad international experience in finance, who has settled into a career now as a private equity investor. He was born in South Africa to a family of physicians. So he has a keen understanding of some of the medical issues that all of us have been facing. And his family were committed political activists as well. During the time he was growing up, the apartheid regime in South Africa was falling apart. So his childhood was spent moving between different schools, cities, and countries, which have all profoundly shaped his worldview. An abiding concern about the growing influence of postmodern irrationalism, identity politics, social justice constructs, centralism and collectivism, as opposed to our concepts of individual liberty, led him to recognize quickly the coercive responses to the COVID-19 pandemic and saw these coercive responses as an accumulation of threats to the hard-earned civil rights and freedom and to our productivity as individuals and to flourishing societies. He predicted early that these coercive threats and this global coordination and suppression of our freedoms would lead to deep injustices and inequality. As a result, he co-founded Pandemics Data and Analytics, 
The acronym is PANDA, P-A-N-D-A, to refute the many false narratives that have been underpinning the threats we've all faced. And I think this is fascinating for our listeners to appreciate that there is a science and a data analytic process that we can undertake to show unequivocally the lies and distortions. Nick Hudson is a man of many wide ranging interests. He's an avid reader of canonical literature, a classic music aficionado, and an enthusiastic ornithologist for you uh, listeners who'd like the uh, $5 word, that's bird watcher. He cites as his major influences, Jacob Boronsky, Karl Popper, David Deutsch, and Thomas Sowell. He's been invited to speak on various topics, including corporate governance, investment management, and more recently, the pandemic. I'm honored to have Nick Hudson with us. And as you've gathered, this is Dr. Lee for America, your Team Nation guest host, continuing the second hour a Voice of a Nation with our guest, Nick Hudson. Welcome, Nick. Thanks for coming to the U.S. via technology. Well, it's a, it's a pleasure to be there. And thank you for that, what was probably the longest uh, introduction I've, I've ever had. Somebody did their homework. <laughs> well, I think it's a fascinating background. Yeah. And, and I really am interested in the fact that you have lived and worked in other countries, as well as the United States. Um, you, you yes, shared- in, in particular the United States. Uh, I, I think uh, cumulatively a good seven odd years or so. Yes, and, and actually in two very interesting parts of the US, you were in New York and you were in Arlington, Texas, which is just around the corner from where my Texas practice has been based for 25 years. So right. you can see two very different cultures in the U.S. Oh, yes. I remember when I was in, in the 1980s reading a, a book, I think it was The Nine Nations of North America, which had a, made a great impression upon me as a, as, a, as a young teenager, I guess I would have been. Um, and uh, it, it struck me at the time as, as a, a construct that many people outside of the United States failed to appreciate, that the, the cultural differences as you move from region to region are actually quite great. They really are. Well, tell us um, exactly more, tell us more about how you came to start Panda and more about exactly how you're using your data and analytics to get to the bottom of this incredible web of, of lies and deception that we've all been subjected to. Well, the beginnings of it were, were really quite simple. It, it was a, a matter of uh, a collection of, of friends that I was speaking to, you know, very, very informally over a glass of wine and, uh, or a beer and um, just looking at what was coming our way with this uh, epidemic. And as we began to study what was going on, the first thing that struck us was that there was an enormous gap between the reality of what was happening as was being evidenced by the emergent data from Asia and in particular the Diamond Princess cruise ship and what the media was reporting, which was something like an airborne Ebola that was going to kill everybody if we didn't do all sorts of dramatic things. 
And May I interrupt for a second? Would you sure. please clarify for our listeners who may not remember, talk a little bit about the Diamond Princess and the important lessons that I know you're very aware of and, and I'm aware of, but most of our listeners may not realize because that was all kept from the public here. Yeah. Explain the lessons of that that raised your suspicions about what the media was saying versus the experience. Well, there were, there were several notable features and, and the importance of the ship is that it presents a closed population. Um, and according to our conventional understandings of how respiratory viruses spread, um, it's reasonable to assume that everybody on board that ship would have been exposed to the, the circulating virus. So that is what you call a Petri dish experiment. It allows you to watch a, a closed population and see how it is affected by um, this emerging pathogen. Um, and such situations are extremely valuable because they allow you the opportunity to make sensible, intelligent uh, estimations of how the virus would behave out in the wild, the real world, a city or a country. And the, the, the really salient observations from that ship's experience were as follows. First of all, it was very clear that this was a disease that affected mainly the elderly. And it was even evident that it affected people who had severe comorbidities. Well, that, took, that extra information took a while to come out. And then it also was clear that not everybody developed the disease upon exposure. So you had a, a reasonably clear picture of a, a, um, a, a, a disease to which uh, most of the population would have some kind of pre-existing immunity and which had a, a massive graduation in terms of its age-based mortality. And now that the data is being collected from all over the world, you, you can see these points have been really strongly borne out. Uh, the ratio of the mortality uh, for, a, for an old person to the mortality rate for a young person is a factor of a thousand, um, which is to mean that, um, you know, for young people, the risk is very, really very negligible. Um, whereas for old people, it's a somewhat dangerous disease. And these facts were evident if you were close to the data in February, if you were waiting for the papers to be released in March of last year, and yet the world went off and behaved as if none of those facts existed. And the World Health Organization and many other public health institutions told everybody that we were all uh, naive from an immune perspective, that there was universal susceptibility to this disease. Um, it told everybody that, uh, you know, that we were all at risk. You, we, we heard about flat mortality rates, which were being bandied about with no recognition that those were averages that represented, you know, something that was effectively zero for young people and something that was material for old people. And so it went and thus the panic was stoked. Well, that was certainly one of the biggest lies at the beginning, that along with the lie about asymptomatic spread. And that was 
the key point at which I saw here people just absolutely thrown into sheer panic. And yes. I think we saw that. You must have seen that worldwide from you're looking mm. at the data as well. Mm. Yeah, there were, there were interesting things to observe. Um, I'll, I'll never forget um, the New York Times ran a, a, a feature on a, a family in, a, in, a, in Bergamo in northern Italy where the first lockdowns of, outside of China were implemented. And the thing that struck me was that they had chosen a very unrepresentative family. The, 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 the father in this family was uh, young by the standards of COVID. He was a 56-year-old. And this was not at all typical. You know, the, the um, average age of mortality in Italy, I believe, was around somewhere around the 84-year-old mark. It, that could have been Bergamo and not the whole of Italy. But you, you were not looking at the representative case when you were considering a 56-year-old man. And um, it just struck me that there was a, almost a coordinated effort to try and make out that this disease was much worse than it really was. And whilst, of course, it's a tragedy when anybody dies, and we always have to say that for fear of being seen to be heartless number crunches, um, of course, the, the measures you would take in response to, to a, a disease that has a fairly limited um, population on which it, uh, to, towards which it represents a large risk um, are different from the measures you would take if there was a general risk in the community. But this, but this notion that everybody is at risk or that disease is dangerous to young people continues to be inflamed. I mean, just yesterday, uh, President Biden was tweeting to the world that there's a new variant and this variant is circulating amongst the young people. And all of that is designed to inflame fear and to promote the needle in every arm narrative, which is itself completely divorced from science. You're exactly right. And in fact, we've known for decades that in fact, probably hundreds of years that fear is one of the most powerful weapons to control a population psychologically. Absolutely. And, and that's something else that hasn't been reported in mainstream media. There have been some astonishing revelations, I think of three in particular. Uh, one from nearly a year ago when a set of documents was leaked in Germany that have been dubbed the Panic Papers. And when you read through those documents, you see the public health officials interacting with each other in what they thought was a stream of emails that were never to be seen by the rest of the world. Um, and they, they discuss methods for instilling fear in the population. And they discuss how bad the models have to be in order to get everybody anxious and how bad, uh, the, what kind of communications they need to um, indulge in in order to maximize the fear. And similar revelations were made with respect to Canada and Britain. But I have no doubt that this has been seen the world over. Here in South Africa, for example, we have uh, uh, multiple behavioral scientists on our ministerial advisory committee, which is our kind of uh, decision-making body like the CDC in America. 
And what are they doing there? They're, they're not there to calm everybody down, you know. Um, and these revelations have been quite startling and rather creepy. And in the case of the British uh, situation, it got so bad that some of the members of this organization called SPIB, S-P-I hyphen B, actually broke ranks with the organization and uh, you know, issued a statement saying that they felt that the activities of that organization had been deeply unethical. And I agree with them. Um, well, I'm deeply unethical and they're, you know, it's really hard for people with a normal mind and normal conscience to wrap your head around the fact that people are deliberately planning an evil agenda of deliberately planning and plotting how to generate fear and how to cause panic. It's very difficult to even comprehend that there can be human beings in leadership positions, no less, who yes. have as their agenda to do. It's truly mind-boggling. Yes, I mean, I, I speak of the importance of holding in your mind the profound ideological split that this whole coronavirus episode has highlighted. Um, there's a, a, a type of person, an ideological strain of person uh, for whom the general population represent a bunch of witless idiots who aren't going to do sensible things and that the only way you can get them to do the right thing in inverted commas is by uh, striking the fear of God into them and uh, terrorizing them into um, adhering to some very draconian mandates. And the idea is that by controlling the population in this fashion, you'd get them to do certain things that would uh, minimize the spread, as they call it, and that would minimize death. So it's, uh, it involves a couple of components, this um, aloofness and separation from uh, the ordinary person in, in the mind of the ideologue, and then also the closely related idea that the right way to approach society is through the lens of a narrow utilitarianism um, where the clever people, the, the elitists, the centralists sit there punching away at their spreadsheets and models and working out how to um, minimize aggregate death, uh, parceling out the individual deaths and hardships as they see fit, um, alienating from all of the people involved their own personal agency in the process. And the other side of that table, the one that I sit on, is, is really the opposite. I, I regard human beings as, as generally intelligent and of comparable intelligence, no matter where you travel in the world and um, you know, across all dimensions of, of, of human uh, perplexion. And um, I regard those the, the, the appreciation of individual uh, sovereignty as, as, a, as a crucial feature of a, a creative and generative society. Um, I am deeply suspicious of centralists and of the idea that knowledge can be pr promoted or that there can be progress when the world is monolithic and there, are, there is no um, lively 
ground for competition of ideas and uh, competing explanations for how the world works and how we could make it better. That's exactly right. And, and you've just crystallized the fundamental difference between essentially the socialist Marxist communist collective worldview and the constitutional republic worldview that the founders of the United States of America were imbued with, that our individual life is a gift of our creator, not a gift of the governments, and that our liberty to live our lives, to own property, the fruits of our labor, and they used the word happiness, pursuit of happiness. Originally, the, the thinking was the pursuit of property to own the fruits of our labor, our mind, our body work, all of the ways in which we can be creative individuals, that those were our gifts of, of the creator to use as we see fit, not gifts that the government determined who got to use and how they got to use them. Yeah, quite right. And that remarkable perspective uh, spawned the first lengthy period of really rapid progress in humanity's history. For that, people were born and died in houses that were more or less the same. They, they handed to their ch children uh, a life that was not remarkably different from their own. And it was in that fundamental jump to uh, a, a philosophy that recognized um, the sovereignty of the individual mm -hmm. that a very rapid growth, a very rapid evolution in human knowledge was enabled for the first time in human history in, in a sustainable fashion. And it is only as our worlds have been challenged by a remarkable trend towards centralization and globalization with these enormous corporations and supranational organizations that that uh, flame, that spark has shown signs of being snuffed out and growth has tailed off and the incomes of the middle classes in particular have stopped growing. And I think we see now in the response to COVID, the very worst of that tendency and look at the results, you know, just a disaster in every dimension. Because it's not simply the economic consequences and the effect that those have on people's livelihoods and, and indeed on their mortality, because economies mediate life, but the policies have actually caused a worsening of COVID outcomes. And that's something that is also not understood by um, the man in the street because the mainstream media is, is hiding that fact. You're, you're absolutely correct on that. The, the deaths from COVID or with COVID, because only probably about 6% mm. of the actual deaths in the United States were actually due to COVID. They were people who had died of other causes with COVID and they died in part, large part because they were prevented access to early treatment, which we can talk a little bit more about after the break. But what we've also absolutely failed to 
warn the public, to discuss openly with the public, to acknowledge to the public is the deaths that came from so many other causes, drug abuse, domestic violence, crime, all of the social isolation, the dementia patients who died early because they lost all contact with loved ones. They had, they were isolated and the dementia progressed much more rapidly. I mean, the, the absolute human cost beyond the virus has truly been staggering. And now we're seeing more deaths coming with the complications of an experimental vaccine. As you mentioned at the beginning, they're forcing the narrative of a needle in every arm, which is unconscionable. It has never been done before. Yeah, a couple of things to pick up on there. It, it was precisely a, a lively um, awareness of the potential for collateral damage from these policies that caused that small group of friends who founded Panda to jump into action when our own government here in South Africa um, announced a lockdown and you know for three weeks to flatten the curve and then an extension of that lockdown we said there's something wrong here nobody's talking about any kind of cost benefit analysis being performed and so we wrote we, we wrote a paper called quantifying the years of life lost to lockdown we were we were a well-positioned group to do this we had an economist uh, an immunologist an actuary and and a lawyer and the group was joined very quickly by another actuary guy by the name of Peter Castleton, who, who uh, was, you know, currently practicing in insurance. Um, and he, he pointed out that, you know, when you, when you rate a, a life insurance policy, when you price a life insurance policy, you take into account the person's economic circumstances because how much uh, you have by way of resources determines your mortality rate. And he pointed out uh, that you could reverse the direction of flow of that calculation and, sh and work out, you know, when the economy moves um, and, and you know, is hit by a shock, that it will, what, what kind of impact we might expect that to have on the life expectancies of a population. And no matter how we did those calculations, no matter how favorably we tried to swing the balance in favor of lockdown in terms of the assumptions we were making, we kept on coming up with the same answer that the uh, mortality impact of the lockdown event was an order of magnitude or more greater than the mortality benefit, supposed mortality benefit of the lockdown. That is and, fascinating. Yeah. And I want to pick up on that after the break. And I'd also like to get you to email me the link to your paper so that we can put it up on our platform for people to have access to read that and the link to the, the panic papers that you mentioned. I, I think that would be really helpful information. This is Dr. Lee for America, your Team Nation guest host in for Malcolm on Voice of a Nation. And we're going to take a short break and then we will be right back with more from Nick Hudson, the founder of Panda. Listen to Malcolm, the voice of a nation, on iHeartRadio or our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. In 2008, the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds. Five years later, it was only eight seconds, one second less than a goldfish. 
If you find yourself always distracted or having trouble recalling information, you're likely to fall behind in the demanding, fast-paced 21st century. In other words, brain performance is more critical now than ever. Boost your brain power with Healthy Cells Focus Plus Recall. Science-backed nootropics to sharpen focus, concentrate longer, enhance recall, improve mental speed, learn rapidly, and be more alert. It's a pill-free brain supplement made with maximum absorption technology, designed to feed our brains at the cellular level. Take it for a test drive. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Focus Plus Recall. That's HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 20% off. It was a vision that gave birth to a unique multimedia platform that would combine classic talk radio, great writers, and memorable podcasts and videos. AmericaOutloud.com is a conservative leader in a field that is predominantly run by far-left progressive globalists. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. The silent majority has spoken. We say, let the silent voices be heard. You can be the voice of change. Contact our producer at liberty at americaoutloud.com. Liberty at americaoutloud.com. Welcome back to Voice of a Nation with our guest today, Nick Hudson, the founder of Panda Pandemic Analytics and Data. And Nick is joining us from Cape Town, South Africa today to talk about the global perspective. Nick, welcome back. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, 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 we went soon after that first paper that I mentioned before the, the break, we attracted a lot of other members because the, we, we had made sure that that paper was distributed to all the media and um, political figures and public health figures in the country. And so it attracted quite a lot of attention. And then we began to add to the team scientists of all varieties. And we began to study the entire epidemic, all aspects of it. And we started noticing in how many ways the reality was adrift from the, the narrative or the other way around, I suppose I should say. Um, and it, it's generally a case of looking at numbers, but it's sometimes a case of looking at the science, the science of genetics, the science of virology, um, of epidemiology, um, infectious diseases more broadly. And what we kept on finding was just a substantial difference between the received narrative from public health figures and reality. And it, I ended up uh, eventually working with the team at Panda to produce a presentation um, called Time to Reopen Society, which we presented at a, at a investor conference in March. And that went up onto YouTube and went completely viral. And the basic content of that presentation was to demonstrate that the entire narrative was false, that there were actually of, of, the, of the key, the eight key elements of the COVID narrative, not a single element was true. 
And people who were watching that presentation found this, I think, rather disconcerting. We backed it all up with the research and it was fully referenced and so on. And after a million views, we've never had anybody complain about the veracity of any of the statements we made in that 25-minute presentation. And that's quite alarming because it would suggest that the people who we're criticizing don't have an answer. Um, but that's, that's the reality. We're told that there's a, a new virus. Well, no, there isn't. This is a virus that is very closely related to four other viruses that have been circulating broadly in the human population for, for, for ages. Um, we're told that it's a deadly virus. No, it's not. For the under 70s, the mortality rate is 0.05%. And, you know, of, of those people, 90% um, plus are people with severe comorbidities. So for the, for the healthy under 70-year-old, the disease, disease presents absolutely negligible risk. We're told that we're universally susceptible. We're not. Uh, approximately 80 people have pre-existing immunity, 80%. Um, we're told that there are no treatments. Well, that's false. There are some very good treatments, just as there are for other respiratory viruses. Uh, we're told that unless we wear masks and masks and lock down, um, we're all going to die. And that's not true because when you look at the data, uh, lockdown is seen to be pro-contagion. It actually shifts more mortality onto the vulnerable in a very subtle way that causes the population fatality rate to rise the harder you lock down. Mm -hmm. And we know very well now that cloth masks do nothing. They weren't expected to do anything. The mechanics of what they're purported to do don't make sense from a, a physical um, bioscience perspective. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the data, there's no sign of any of the great benefits that were promised by uh, Dr. Fauci with his one mask, two mask, three mask, four. Um, and so, you know, the entire narrative just doesn't stack up. It's really every aspect of the story, even, even more recently, new elements of the narrative, such as the idea that there are these variants out there that behave remarkably differently from the ones that went before. That's false. The idea that those variants can evade immunity or even, even vaccine-induced immunity, that's false. There are these ideas relating to the vaccines that um, recovered people, people who've had the disease and recovered from it, should be vaccinated, that it'll improve their immune systems if they're vaccinated. That's false as well. Uh, the, the reality is that we don't have access to the kind of data that we'd really want to see to be able to see how much impact those, well, first of all, to see whether those explanations are valid. And secondly, to, to describe the magnitude of the impact. Um, and it's, it, when, the data we do look at presents a rather uh, confusing picture. For example, when you look at the Singaporean adverse events uh, data, and Singapore has a very sophisticated healthcare system with impeccable data keeping, you find that anaphylactic shock reactions occur in approximately one in a thousand people. And to the extent that they are advised not to take the second dose of the vaccine. So we're talking about quite a severe anaphylactic shock. This is not a, a sniffle and a sneeze. Um, and yet when we look at the American data, the incidence rate of anaphylactic reactions would appear to be about one hundredth of that. The flaws in the CDC VAERS system 
which yes. Dr. Pella and, and Dr. Rish and many of our leading epidemiologists have looked at, but also what most people don't realize and, and we, a small group of physicians, including Dr. McCullough and Dr. Rish, were part of a conference call a week ago with two CDC whistleblowers who reported that whether it is deliberate or incompetent, we can't say at this point, but the backlog of adverse event reporting is backlogged so that the VAERS system does not have data current beyond February. So the magnitude of adverse events is far greater than what even Open Bears reports, point one. Point two, these two employees who are entering data and who are in the middle of seeing all of the adverse event reports in the U.S. pointed out two problems, uh, several problems, but two in particular related to your point. They they describe the fact that certain types of anaphylaxis are not being included. So that they, they, they mentioned a particular scale that's being used and they explained that if a doctor who reports just list the word anaphylaxis, it's thrown out. If they specify the degree or type of anaphylaxis, only then is it included. So it's underestimating the severity of the anaphylactic reaction in the data in the US. That may explain part of the difference. The other issue is that they, that they are selective in what is being reported, even when they are tracking particular outcomes and, and data points such as race, for example. So some of the racial differences that we clinicians are seeing on the front lines are not showing up in the data because they're not reporting it that way. So Singapore's data may actually be far more reliable than what the United States has because of the flaws in our system, but the backlog as well as the fact that there's selective reporting going on. Yeah, I, I have heard all of those uh, ideas uh, being discussed and they all need to be taken seriously and studied and the magnitudes of the problems need to be understood. Um, but there seems to be a great reluctance to engage with them and almost a blanket uh, denial that such problems exist um, in, in the, when you consult the mainstream media again. You know, um, I, I think also just the process involved in filing a report in the United States is a problem. It apparently takes nearly half an hour to file a, an adverse event report. And exactly. that, that, that's particularly weird in the context of, you know, what was required to file a COVID death in the United States. You know, some, definitely not a half hour report subject to getting thrown out if it didn't tick a number of uh, boxes that might be somewhat arcane. Um, so, you know, there, there's a lot of inconsistency and the more you hear about it, the more you get the sense that the whole system is rigged towards uh, projecting the disease as worse than it is and the vaccines as more effective than they are or, or, or safer than they are. But I, I encourage people to take a step back first before they even engage with the safety information. Um, when it comes to the vaccines, and, and I mean, what, what a godsend a safe and effective vaccine would be, 
um, if there were, if you know, if we administered such a vaccine to the the vulnerable five or ten or at maybe at the most twenty percent of the population, you'd almost have eliminated coronavirus deaths. You'd be done. Vaccinating the rest is simply unnecessary, and you 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 are administering an experimental um, drug to people who are at very small risk. And it that does not make sense to me. There's no reason why that has to be rushed. You know, by all means, if after two or three years, a careful analysis of safety and efficacy has been completed and the vaccines have received formal approval and not simply emergency use, author, use authorization, you know, then you could proceed to vaccinate the rest of the population who, who wanted to be vaccinated for whatever reason. But this unbelievable zealotry, the desire to now vaccinate six-month-old babies and children and, and, and to do incredibly um, unusual things like remove the requirement for parental consent for the vaccination of 12 to 18-year-olds. That kind of move speaks of a level of zealotry which causes me to regard all the information pumped out about the vaccines by such people with a great deal of suspicion. I wonder to what extent the trials have been manipulated. I wonder to what extent the people engaged in the approval processes really have applied their minds independently. When you see this kind of policy emerging, you know you are not dealing with rational scientific minds. You are dealing with zealots. Well, that's exactly what is fueling the, the very term that the public health officials use pejoratively and, and derogatorily about the population, vaccine hesitancy, as if it's some bad thing, their actions are fueling people's hesitancy and skepticism because when in our modern history have we ever seen any medication or vaccine ever marketed by winning a cruise or winning a lottery or being given gifts to go and get this done. In fact, all of the direct-to-consumer advertising on television in the United States is loaded with warnings after the rosy picture of what this new medicine is going to do for you they have to list all of the warnings about the risk and side effects. And that has been totally thrown out the window with these experimental biological agents uh, given the name of a vaccine when they don't work in the same way as our traditional vaccines do. Yeah, I mean, th there's a great deal of creepiness and um, something disgusting about the uh, the notion that you would uh, offer a cruise ship ticket to a person to induce them into taking a medication that they would otherwise choose not to take um, and that's part of this zealotry that I was that I was speaking of um, it it really is uh, quite perplexing and one then has to have one's eye on the other aspect of all of this which is the extent to which public health institutions have been captured by uh, vested corporate interests. You know, the, the, 
the number of public health organizations that um, find themselves in a position of being heavily funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Gavi, the World Health Organization, and a cluster of other uh, closely related and collusional organizations is vast. And it happens from country to country. It's not just the United States. Here in South Africa, institution after institution, from universities to um, you know, uh, non-governmental organizations to actuarial consulting firms even, are funded by the same creatures. You know, you look, you know, entity after entity, there it is. And what that does is it leaves the people, the scientists who are working in those organizations in a position of not being able to speak out or, or dissent or to differ in any way, um, unless they are prepared to stake their entire livelihoods and careers um, on, you know, against that. And so you get this very uniform view that adheres to the position advocated by those organizations who are uh, very fundamentalist in their, in their approach to the problem. They have for many decades told us that they think the solution to all um, healthcare problems uh, relates to um, some kind of mass vaccination and surveillance type setup. And I think that is a problem that is also inadequately addressed in the media is the, the, the kind of collusion that has gone on on a spectacular level from country to country. You know, it's not just the United States and South Africa. It's the whole world. Wherever you look, there are the same influences and there's the same pressure on scientists to toe the line. I get the image of a huge spider web and at the center of the spider web is this black widow spider tugging on the strings and capturing the flies from around the world in this web and and that is that is just the image that keeps coming to mind because I'm part of a coalition that Dr. McCullough set up of over uh, there are now almost 500 doctors and scientists and specialists from different fields around the world, part of this C-19 coalition. And we've been have exchanging emails every day for the last year and a half. And Yeah, I'm a member of that now too. Yes, you are, yeah. and that's, that's great. And yeah. it is shocking to experience doctors and scientists from countries all around the world, many of which I've personally been to, and, and I, I just am shocked at the degree to which exactly what you're describing is taking place. There's suppression of early treatment. There's co-optation of the media. There's the false narratives. And I want to end before we wrap up. I want you to come back and relist your eight myths of the false narrative and, and summarize those for our listeners. There's, there's that. There's the massive push to vaccination, there's the economic devastation, there, it's, it is so coordinated. I honestly don't think we have ever seen in my lifetime, such a massive coordination from one country to another. Yes, I, I in fact, I, I spent quite a bit of time trying to uh, talk to people in terms of ideology and to try and move them off 
the idea that it's necessarily all centrally controlled, because I think that's hard for people to believe. They, um, I think, correctly take the perspective that if there was a massive coordinated conspiracy, that at some point or other, somebody would leak information out of that conspiracy. There'd be dissenters who left the organizations and blew whistles and so on. And I, and I, you know, I think that's a very valid uh, criticism to make of kind of ideas of grand conspiracy. And that's why I always emphasize the extent to which ideology plays an enormous role. It puts blinkers on people and makes them uh, avoid seeing the world for what it is. They, they become divorced from reality. Um, and there are quite extreme ways in which this happens. I mean, you mentioned one earlier, the story of the antibodies. Um, there's a narrative that's been promoted all over the world that the antibodies for coronavirus wane. But very basic immunology will tell you that that is irrelevant when it comes to assessing how long-lived immunity is because our immune systems have other layers and it is those layers that actually govern long-term immunity, the T cells and the B cell memory system. And so you're looking at the wrong part of the immune system if you're trying to assess the longevity of uh, COVID immunity. But for the vaccine corporations, that's an inconvenient truth. So they rather emphasize the antibodies, the antibodies, the antibodies, and attempt to persuade people that their immunity has gone away when the antibodies disappear. That kind of thing is happening all the time. And you hear these scientists who know very well that that is absolute nonsense, parroting this stuff relentlessly on television, on radio, in the newspapers, and on it goes. So, you know, it, it is, it, there is a, there are no doubt some elements of planning all over the place here by the companies uh, who are making profits, by the politicians who want more power and so on and so forth. And there's no doubt some collusion among them. But one of the mistakes people make, I think, is to overread design. We tend to look at complicated things or things that are, have uh, in, intricate uh, patterns to them. And we, we leap to the conclusion that there must be a single designer sitting at the top of the whole chain. And I think that actually makes it harder to understand what's going on because the reality is probably more diffuse. There are probably more relationships of convenience, mutual alignment and shared ideology that are driving this than there are um, carefully planned and coordinated multi-decadal ideas that have been implemented in one fell swoop. Um, what was you had uh, for me? You asked me to to close. Is is now a good time to to, like, to run run? Yeah. I really liked what you said, and and I'd like to have you send me by email a link to three things you mentioned: mm. the panic papers, the your paper, the quantification of life years lost, and the presentation time to reopen society. And sure. let us get that up on the America Out Loud platform as part of the show description so that people can access those, those links and read more of, of your really important work. But you mentioned the eight false narratives, and I, I relabeled them in, um, in layman's language as, as the, the eight myths that yeah. we were taught about COVID. I think it would be great if you would just summarize those again, the eight myths that we were taught that are false. Yeah. And I'm going to, what I'll do this time around is I'm going to run them all together as one story and then tell the other. So the, the story that you've been told is that there's a new and deadly virus. Uh, there are no treatments for it. We're also susceptible to it. And unless we 
locked down and wear our masks until a vaccine arrives, we're all going to die. And there are variants coming at us at a pace that will require us all to have boosters to our vaccinations. Otherwise, we're all going to die. So that's the, the received narrative. But the reality is that the virus is not really new. They're closely related ones that have been circulating and therefore our immune systems recognize it, meaning that we're not all susceptible. Probably for that very reason, it is not a particularly deadly virus for most of the population with negligible mortality rates for healthy people under the age of 70, which is to say most of the population. Lockdowns and mask mandates show no sign of being effective in the data. They were ruled out by prior guidelines, which were torn up in the space of a couple of weeks, at the beginning of this epidemic. The variants are differ, different from one another in incredibly small degrees, so that they do not evade our immune systems or the vaccines, and they do not have significantly different clinical features. So, you know, the, the entire story that you've received is false. And that is critically important information as we talk about the way forward and reopening society, because it's going to take people around the world standing up in their local communities, their churches, synagogues, community groups, standing up to the false narrative and reclaiming our lives and our freedom. And I could, not, I could not agree with you more. It needs to take place at a local and community level. That is always the place where the best things come from in our societies. And that is the level at which we are going to have to launch the fight back. The, and, and also the, the plea needs to go out at that level to people who are maybe undecided, people who are maybe in the middle ground to develop some courage to look at the reality and to face up to the terrible truth that they may have been lied to for more than a year. That's exactly right, Nick. And that goes to a point that led me as one person in the middle of May to reactivate a foundation that, that actually my husband and I created 14 years ago in a similar circumstance when the war on estrogen was taking place and costing lives and the war on testosterone for men were, were costing lives for similar agendas, money, power and control, expensive medications instead of inexpensive hormonal options for improving health and quality of life. And world leaders were showing the opposite, but the, the war on, on those hormones at that time was particularly intense in the United States. And I see that happening in the war on effective treatments for COVID. And so I've reactivated the foundation and it is broadened in scope to truth for health. And we are, our first initiative is to reunite medicine and ministry and reach out through churches and groups that are faith-based to restore trust by working in the churches 
with bringing medicine and early treatment telemedicine services into those environments at the community level. And actually, I'd really enjoy looking at whether there's a potential connection with Panda and all that you're doing, because I really see this from my work with medical projects in other countries. I see this as something that we could take beyond the borders of the United States and implement in a variety of settings with today's technology and good data showing people the facts in an objective, balanced way to help them make informed decisions. So I, I really would like to stay in touch about that. And how can people find out more about your organization? What is your website? We, we would love to stay in touch with you too. And, uh, you know, strength, strength to your arm, uh, courage to your heart. Our website is uh, www.pandata.org. So that's pandata.org, pandata.org. And there are links to our various social media feeds there and to all of our video materials. I will do a little plug for the 25-minute presentation, which is available on Odyssey called A Time to Reopen Society, also branded on various parts of the web as the ugly truth about the COVID-19 lockdowns. But if you simply go to our website, you'll see it's on the front page of that website. And it's a, it's a 25 minute lesson that has caused many people to revise their perspectives on the, the pandemic. And we have received a huge outpouring of sometimes very emotional responses um, following the release of that, um, that presentation in middle, middle of March. Um, Excellent. Yeah, so, so thank you very much for the opportunity to, to talk. It's, it's been a pleasure talking with you, and uh, we certainly at Panda wish you well in all of your efforts and hope that we can cooperate towards ending this nonsense soon. I think that's a great idea, and I just thank you for being part of us today on America Out Loud, and may our voice on America Out Loud help inspire the rest of the world to get loud, get involved and speak out to help make the world around you a better place. This is Dr. Lee for America, your Teen Nation guest host. For Malcolm signing off for today, thank you for being with us and God bless all of your efforts, Nick. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Lee, and thank you to your listeners.